Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Start this one right off the top with an apology for being so late with this one. I did a whole bunch of recordings back in August and had a bunch laid out for the future. And then I race directed for the X-Red Rocks and I've just been buried in this house build here between Haley and, and Ketchum trying to get my family out of the trailer that we've lived in for the last five months since before the X Alps since actually the day after my crash back in May and then X Alps and then back here so and then that whole time we haven't had internet or even cell service at the job site so it's been really tricky to record and set up recording so I apologize for being late with this one we will get back on schedule as always and my guest today is Eduardo Garza, a really good friend of mine, Team Mexico in the last two X-Alps. He's had really good races in both and a really, really awesome performance this year. He was kind of hanging tight with the middle of the crew and then had a breakout flight, took a totally different path, went north like Kriegel did, I think a day or two before him and really made it work and made it through Piz Palu and to come in 14th place. And we talk a lot about the race this is basically dedicated to his thoughts on the race four months post race which is fun um i think we all go through a little bit of post-race trauma depending on what's next and what's in the future and he and i are both pretty firmly in the camp of not doing it again so i wanted to ask him about that and but we get into his experience which was all good and talked a lot about the weather and the wind and some of the scary stuff that we had to deal with this year. And those of you who are fans of the race, I think you'll really enjoy it. Eduardo's got a great attitude. He's an awesome pilot. I think this year was, I think he was first of the non-Europeans, which I've gotten a couple times in my X-Alps. And, you know, it's just tough to go do battle with the Euros because they're, they're on, they got a massive home field advantage. And uh, so we talk about that. But we had a lot of fun with this, a lot of laughs, and I think you're going to enjoy it. We talked about the training quite a bit as well. He and I both have the same trainer, Ben Abruzzo, who's also supported me and been really integral to my team since the beginning, since the 2015 race. So enjoy this talk with Eduardo Garza. Cheers. Eduardo, uh, thanks for taking this last-minute invite. I know you've been buried in work. I think the last time I saw you, we were turning circles in Chelan, which sounds like that's a little more fun than, than what's going on in your world right now. What, what are you guys, what are you and Bianca up to? What's happening out on the East Coast? Well, first of all, Gabby, thank you very much for the invites. This is, this is an honor, really, because I really love what you have been doing with the podcast. So it's awesome to be here chatting with you. Thank you. So here at the East Coast, we're trying to fly as much as possible, actually. Uh, weather has not cool. been cooperating that much really lately, but, uh, but yeah, staying in the air as much as possible. Cool. And you're, tell the audience what you do. Cause they, you know, a lot of people that follow the X Alps obviously know you from that and you're done the X a couple of times and this was your second X Alps, but what's your, what's your business? What's your background? That's, that's not related to flying. How do you, how do you, how do you pay for flying? <laughs> I should ask it that <laughs> I way. think that's a very good question, actually. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a mechanical electrical engineer. And I work for a manufacturing company that uh, makes uh, fiber optic cables for telecommunications. So this is an office hey, job. I just got fiber optic brought to my house. There you so, go. Yes, yeah, so you make the stuff that 
made made this possible in some ways. <laughs> I haven't had internet for the last five months, and I tell you, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, so so we build infrastructure exactly for all the Netflixes and videos, etc. So uh, it's a very demanding job, and trying to marry that with paragliding has really been uh, a struggle, I should say, lately. You know, I was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is how did the training look this year? Uh, did anything change? Because we both have the same trainer. We both use Ben Abruzzo. I've used him for all four of mine, and you've been using him for years now and using him for your first X Alps in, in 2019, and uh, which you did really well at as well as, as well as this one. So I wanted to ask you what what changed, but that, you know, one of the big differences I always think about you and always feel for you, you know, in some ways the, when we look at the top 10 this year of the X Alps, they're all what I would consider professional pilots. You know, this is what they do and they get paid to do it and that's their job. And uh, you're, you're one of the few actually in the race who, uh, you know, you have to find the time outside of a full-time job to prepare for the race. And, you know, I always feel like I've got a lot of luxury in that I can just focus on the training going into it. I mean, I still have to, I have my job and my work, but it's not a nine to five like you've got. And it, it must be incredibly hard to find the time. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons I decided I'm not doing another XOPS. It's not just the risk and everything I put out in that article. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the time, it's the dedication to this, you know, this 12 days that goes into the year in advance. Um, that must be really tough from with what you do totally agree i couldn't agree more gavin that is where the real struggle marrying my profession as an engineer with preparing for something as large and involved as the x alps comes from normally in my day when i am training for the x alps you're talking about starting training at 6 to 7 p.m so you work a full day, eight hours. Then Ugh. you start training 6 or 7 p.m. And as you know, with Ben, it's not exactly a walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no joke, man. He, he really tries to destroy your body because as uh, a Nelson, actually, I was talking with Nelson the Freeman before, uh, before my first race. And he said, you either go to war before the race or during the race. So if you go yeah, to war exactly. before the race, you're going to enjoy it. Otherwise, during the race, you're going to be destroyed. So uh, I try to put in as much effort and time before the race. And this time around, since you asked about the changes, I asked Ben to increase the volume. Not substantially, mm. because I really cannot afford to be training for two three hours every single weekday. Because in addition, obviously, you have the weekends, which are normally six to seven hours. And mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, <laughs> where I live, there's really not very high mountains. So 70% of the vertical meters that I did in training were done on a 200-meter hill that you Ugh. cannot fly off <laughs> Oh my gosh! You're just going up, down, up, down. You're just yo-yoing all day, up and down, up and down. You, you can ask Ben for uh, for some of the tracks. It's just like a like a scratchy line up and down that uh, incline. <laughs> I know every single rock, every single tree, even by name. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Hello, Fred. Uh, very disappointed to see you again. I know, I know. Yeah, so, so it's really, really challenging. We have uh, taller mountains if, if I drive between an hour and a half and two hours, but that's not something I can do during weekdays because I'm working. So that's where the challenge. Yeah, I mean, I feel for. I see your posts. I follow you on Instagram, obviously, and I, you know, and I talk to Ben regularly uh, every day, and and uh, I see your posts of you know snowshoeing and the fog and the ice, and you know, and I get to go out and you know and ski tour. That's my training is going out and really having fun and getting a lot of vertical and, and you know doing all the hell that he puts us through. But uh, it's you're in a much more challenging zone to to get the vertical and to get the I, hats off to you, man. I mean, cause you're obviously coming in super fit. Yeah, no, thank you. Yes, definitely challenging. And, uh, that's why I'm, I'm always trying to find an edge, you know, how, how can I compete against some of the best hiking fly athletes in the world with limited time and limited resources in terms of, you know, the vertical and also the fact yeah. that we're in America, which is yeah. a huge, I think disadvantage just because we are not in tune or flying uh, with the weather conditions or the valley systems that are a world of difference when it comes to staying in the air and just making easy kilometers, for example. We don't have that second like nature knowledge that comes with living in the Alps. So uh, it's definitely challenging, but uh, I have really appreciated that challenge. And, and that's why every time that uh, we do it or we finish in a decent position uh, is really rewarding. Mm. Yeah, I um, that really hit me in 2019. Not so much this time because it just seemed like the the weather this time was so brutal, man. It was just uh, so bad and all of it was so bad and and still very fun and we flew every day it was you know fascinating I, I think what you know I was just talking to Ben I told you I was talking to Ben earlier today and the the thing that this is always the time you know it's been four months since the end of the race and this is always the time where it really starts to hit me that to not do another one is is starts to feel really scary. I don't know. I don't It's not, that's not the right word. It's just that race puts you in places with your team that you're never, ever going to be able to replicate. And I don't mean just locations. I don't mean, uh, places in terms of that spot on top of that mountain. I mean, places emotionally and physically and, and the beauty, all of it is just, it's the intensity of, of the experience that, I can't replicate. I know I can't replicate it. You know, if Ben and I got together and went and did a Volbiv in, in the Alps, that's going to be really fun and and very rewarding, but it's not going to be the same. You're not going to get out of bed and go do the stuff that we do day after day after day. And there's something very special about that. And uh, yeah, so let me turn that into a question that you've had now that you've had this time of reflection, you know, I did see you very briefly at the awards. Um, you had a really bitching end of that race. You made some awesome moves. You had an incredible move to the North and then that put you nicely in position to get Pizpaloo turn point and you leapfrogged a bunch of people at a really good end of the race. And so, you know, you, like all of us at the end are 
kind of on a cloud nine at the awards, but also, you know, I saw the same look in your eyes that I did with everybody, which was kind of Jesus. That was intense. Um, I, I'm sure it was the same look you saw in me. Uh, you know, you're exhausted, you're thrilled, you're excited to be alive, or at least I was. Um, but what's, wh- what have you had, you know, what's been the reflection since? What what are the kind of emotional roller coasters, if you've had any? I know I have since then. You know, what do you kind of go through? Because now you've done it twice. You're a proper veteran. I, I, I'm curious because I, I think we each have our own unique experiences after the race and that's always after has been really tough for me you know gavin i I agree with you that after a few months pass after the race you uh you forget about the painful bits and you start thinking oh this would be really cool to do again (laughs) right yeah and uh certainly after this race after all the weather and everything that happened uh, you put it in perspective, but to be honest, I don't regret a thing. And this reminds mm-hmm. me a lot about a book I read, and and most likely you're familiar with it. It's uh, How to Get in Flow, and it's written by this now famous person, uh, Mihaly. She says Mihaly, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I butchered that last more. name, by the way, so I apologize. No, no, that was good. But yeah. uh, it, in, in this book, he he has a quote that says, uh, the best moments in our lives are not when we are passive or or doing nothing, just relaxing. That's not where your best moment is going to be. Your mes- best moment mm-hmm. in your life will happen when your body or your mind or both are stretched to its limits, trying to accomplish something that is difficult and worthwhile. So I think mm-hmm. that we accomplish that. So this goes down in my experience as something that uh, I'm going to remember for, you know, the rest of my days. And yeah. it's one of the, you know, best moments in my life, just because we, we push the limits, we pass the limits and we're still here. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know if you saw that recent article I wrote in cross country about, I haven't actually seen it, but Ben said it's out, you know, about this being my last one you and I talked about it briefly at the awards that night, you know, geez, man, should we, could we do it again? Uh, <laughs> I, I really felt like the, the risk was absurd this year. Uh, you know, and we're all in different places in the course. I mean, I know, you know, Aaron Duragati said that he had many times where he thought it was definitely life-threatening. You know, what he was doing was way beyond what, even he trains for, and as you know, you know, he trains, he trains in some awfully nasty stuff, um, because he wants to, you know, he, he's pretty fearless, uh, you know, but I felt like, you know, so we all we were all in different positions, but, you know, I, I specifically remember the day where Lori, you know, through her reserve, they didn't put this anywhere on the, in the media, they don't talk about bad stuff in the X Alps, but, you know, she took off basically with you. And Cody and a couple others from Lermoose that day, and about the same time, I you know I don't know exactly. I got there later that day, and you guys were, you know, in my from my perspective on the ground at Lermoose, you know, we're flying in a full on lightning storm, and it was it was vicious. The sky was insane. I mean, it wasn't. It, Revis was kind of like, yeah, man, yeah. I I think you should, you know, you could probably get up there and make it work. I, mean, man, I don't know. I think it might be a good time to just walk for a bit. 
And that was the day that Lori, you know, went parachutal because of the rain, um, through a reserve to, you know, cause she was coming down on high tension power lines and, and you were making it work that day in, in the air, but man, it looked dicey. And, and it was just, you know, the next day and the next day and the next day I flew in stuff that looked just like that. It was just right. over and over and over again. We were in just vicious weather, really traumatizing. And, and, but it wasn't, it's, but it's weird. It's not, it would be traumatizing if we were just normally flying, but it was, it wasn't, it's not traumatizing because you're in the race. It's like, yeah, bring it. Um, but. What do you think? I mean, is it acceptable? I mean, did you, when you finished the race, when you were done, I mean, cause that day at the awards, you were kind of, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do this again. I, I'd be curious where are you sitting on it now? Are you still thinking that? Or are you thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, better, better do it once more. You know, I'm still thinking that. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing it again. Uh, just for right. a simple reason, because it's, it's just too much time that you need to invest. And right now I don't have the time. And I did it twice already, so pretty much check. Uh, but yeah. not, not a lot about the risk, though. Uh, it's more about the stress that went into preparing for a race with COVID times. And again, with... Yeah, that's... Not, yeah, that, that, was, that was worse because I didn't yeah, have any, any not plane tickets uh, a month prior to the race. Uh, so there was a lot of preparation at the end that had to go through. So the only way that I would do this again is if I live in the Alps, there's no other way. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's, uh, that's a definite. Now regarding, regarding risk, you know, let's, um, let's just be truthful. You cannot play it conservative yeah. and still try to finish in the top 10, top 15, not even top 20. If you play it conservatively, yeah. you have to risk it. You have to fly. If, you have 60 kilometer per hour winds from the north and you're launching south, you have to manage. That's, that's yeah. the thing what you have to do every single day. Uh, you mentioned the day that I flew with Cody, with Theo, uh, Laurie, and uh, Nicola, actually, from Lermus. I remember that day vividly because we were at launch together and Laurie launches first and she just goes up. Like, okay. So it's working. It's perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. At this point, we didn't know if we were going to take the northern route or the southern route or southwestern route uh, through the yeah. Albert Pass. So uh, I told my team, I'm going to make the decision once I'm in the air. So I launched at the end because I was missing a cable. So there's four gliders in the air, everyone getting getting really tall. So when I launch and I pass the Grubigstein Peak, and I see to the north, it's pretty much like you described. It was just nastiness, lower cloud base. There was darkness in the valleys. There was, <laughs> it was a dark omen on the north. So you know what? Decision made, we're going south. And actually to the south, it was, it was pretty nice. For the beginning, it was mellow, two meters per second. We're just scratching the peaks. I was with, at this point, I didn't see Cody which later I learned that he had taken the northern route. So he was, he was going towards the darkness, so I, I couldn't figure that out. But uh, Theo and Nicola were, were, were team flying with me. So we got to a point in Imst that someone flipped the switch. It's from mellow conditions to nuclear conditions. 
So I'm in a thermal, I'm entering this thermal and I'm gladly going up. But I remember that we have airspace on top, right? So uh, Nicola and and Theo are around me and they start spiraling. So like, okay, you know. That's where, is that where Theo got his airspace violation? No, that was Nicola. Yeah, yeah, Nicola got his airspace there. Uh, So I start spiraling as well, lightly first, and I'm still going up. So now I crank the spiral even more and I'm still going up. So I'm from 300 meters. Now I'm 200 meters from airspace. It's like, this is not letting up. So now I have to crank whole spiral, full G-force. And unfortunately, I am still going up. So at this point, Holy smokes. it's just so much so much noise just going up for the barrio. And, and also now from the airspace alarms that, that I just keep the spiral. But uh, I get to a point where now I get sucked into the cloud. So now I don't know where I am. And as you know, that area is big peaks everywhere. Yeah. So I have all this noise around me. Uh, I don't know if I'm in airspace and I'm still cranking probably five Gs. And when I think that nothing else can go wrong, I hear a loud snap, but it was more of a crack. I sink into the harness and I feel a, a sharp pain on my lower back. It was like, now I'm in trouble because something is happening with my harness now. And I cannot keep this G-force going on for so much longer Whoa. until I fall from the sky. You broke your harness? The harness, yes, because of the G-force. It was so nasty. The thermal was just Holy bouncing me around. And this is, this is not a harness problem. This is a conditions that I was in, cranking the spiral problem. Jeez. So... Probably I was two minutes or it seemed like forever, but I think it was more like probably 30 seconds. Uh, but I get dumped finally behind the mountain. So I, I, I get released from this monster thermal and I know where I am now. Uh, fortunately, I didn't spiral into a peak. Uh, so now that I see where I am, I push forward. And the crazy thing is, and this is what the Alps does to you. You just keep flying. You're probably shaking a little yeah. bit. You're, you're scared, you're, you're thinking that, but you're thinking, where can I get my next climb so I don't have to land and keep <laughs> hiking? So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and after that, we got downwashed in the Arbor class uh, with the west wind. So I land uh, Middle Hill and then we just walked and walked and walked and walked. But, uh, but yeah, that, that day was definitely a scary one. And by the way, uh, regarding the harness, uh, I thought it was the, the air bladder that had burst but uh but no yeah. it was one of the rods uh in the bag that had broken so that was that was just uh, pretty much sticking out and but it was all you know it was still flyable obviously uh but yeah. uh, obviously it was all wobbly and, and not proper for control so you were able to just fix that on the fly did you have a spare or something or? what i did was i shifted my body so it was not uh, affecting me for or too much for my flying. And in the air, I called my team and said, you know what, guys, I need I need a new harness. So, uh, you know, next flight, that was all set. That was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny what we do in the air, isn't it? You just you do all kinds of stuff up there that normally it'd be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I have some pretty amazing conversations with Revis while I'm cruising around in the in the chaos sometimes where the hell am i <laughs> um yeah so 
when you when you look back and maybe this was the same at the end of the race or now but what was the when you think about the xops do you have a standout uh, you know what was the best experience that you had in those 12 days during the race you know best experience i have i have many many really good experiences uh that you can catalog differently because when you see people go out and greet you and help you and feed you mm. and try to help you in any way they can and they have a huge smile on their face and you have just walked 80 kilometers and you are devastated physically but you still find the energy to you know what you feed from their energy and now you feel great and nothing bad has happened and and it's all you know it's all amazing it's all great so i had a few experiences like that uh, i remember in verbia so yael's hometown yeah. i land down verbia a little bit lower and this this guy comes and greets me like oh you're exhausted okay yeah yeah uh, I'll show you the way uh, you, you can just hike here and then you can launch and you can keep going down the road. I go, okay, sounds good. So we keep hiking and then more people start coming. Actually, his brother starts coming. So he's like, okay, I'll take you. I can take it from here. Uh, I'm the Pinaraja Relay. So we'll go up uh, this uh, this road here and you'll get to, to launch in about 30 minutes. I don't think you can do it today, but we'll find you a place to sleep. No worries. I'm like, all right. Next thing I know, this person's father, and I believe his his name, the the, the guy who actually hacked me, is, is Joshua. <laughs> and I'm sorry if that's not the name, but Joshua's <laughs> father comes out with the biggest, biggest cowbell that I've seen, and he's cranking it, bang, 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 bang. Wow. He's super excited, and he's giving me tea. He's giving me food. He's like anything else. If your team is not coming, because I think that they are a little bit far away, because. <laughs> Because they were watching the race and they knew that I had launched from Mont Blanc on the Colden Club, which I think yeah. that you flew from the same one, same yeah, crossing exactly. Mont Blanc. So yeah. Jason had hiked with me and he couldn't launch because he had crazily, uh, this is why we call him the mule. His nickname was the mule. <laughs> he was carrying two backpacks, his wing and, and then another backpack with uh, winter gear because it was pretty cold. <laughs> And also yeah. rain gear because it was thunderstorms rolling through. So he couldn't fly with that. So he had to walk down. So they were like three or four hours behind me. And so <laughs> I get to the top and uh, we go to this little restaurant and they find us an actual uh, uh, connection for the Tesla because our other car uh, was a Tesla. And we, we just ran out of juice. So they didn't only find that, but they brought us, you know, beer and food. Uh, the father actually cooked everything. It was a sumptuous. It was a really, really good meal. So I have really, really good uh, memories from, from that day just because of how the people behave with us. And Well, part mm -hmm. of the reason was that no one went through there. It was only Mauder. Yeah. And they were like, Mauder came through here, but he was 1,000 meters above us. <laughs> 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 a, a typical story about Mauer. Uh, yes, I, I, <laughs> I get I those guess along so. the way. Yeah, Mauer came through here two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, we know, we know. Uh, no, no, but they were they were super cool. They were super cool. Uh, so on on that uh, uh, let's say category of people, it's it's always uh, very good stories from the 2019 race. 
And from the 2021 mm-hmm. race, the people are amazing in the Alps. They really follow the race. So I love that. Now, from a, from a flying perspective, you know, partly why I do this race is I love those mountains. I'm mm. constantly impressed by what I see. So in this race, I flew or we flew in areas that I had no idea that they were so mm. beautiful. Like, for example, uh, after Santis, that uh, you fly south and mm-hmm. now you have to launch and cross Valencia in order to get to Klausen Pass. Yeah. Just flying that area, I had never seen it before. Like I was impressed. I even did, did a few a few turns just to, <laughs> you know, to gather everything, uh, take some videos, pictures, etc. And then I kept going because it was just so beautiful. Same thing happened yeah. with the backside of uh, Innsbruck. You know, north of Innsbruck, flying from Agense towards Lermos, towards Garmisch, let's say. So I flew the the southern part. I didn't take the let's say the smaller mountains in the north. I was just impressed at this wall that just appeared when I rounded a corner, probably 800 meters high, 800 meters high, completely vertical, extending for 10 kilometers. I was just uh, dumbfounded of such beauty, you know, so, so many days like those, uh, just, just looking at the sites, it's, it's just amazing. So that's another category. Yeah, it's a, st- it's a stunning place to have that kind of event. It really is terrific. I mean, it just is. the, the, the opportunities for top landing and side hill landing and relaunching. And, you know, you can, you can just put it down almost anywhere and launch anywhere. And, you know, basically if you go up, you're going to find something that works and it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a labyrinth too. You know, this time when I got the Laramus this year, the, you guys had just gotten in the air and, and, you know, we made the call that, nah, it'd probably be better to walk. And, and I just started walking down the road, that was on the north side of where you were. And, and that leads to the, the valley that leads up to the Worth Pass, which was what was kind of my plan A, you know, before the race, you know, you look at all the routes and that was kind of what I was planning to go through. And I had no idea until, the, you know, that night just turned into a catastrophe of epic fun. It was, it was, it was, and I use catastrophe specifically because it was, you know, I walked and then we tried to, you know, I found this launch in the ski area that was really dicey getting off. I had a rundown. It was totally completely cross and all covered around in trees and just a classic exile experience it was really fun. And then I literally went about a kilometer and, you know, the winds just were totally opposite of what we wanted. And, you know, so I spent all this time going uphill and went nowhere, which had been at that point, my race and, uh, you know, just a series of bad luck and bad decisions. And, and then, but that put us in this position of launching off the castle. I don't know if you saw that footage. I, I launched off this castle that night and got a 70 to one glide in this sky that was just, you knew it was going to unleash at any moment. And it did as soon as my feet hit the ground, you know, I just had this <laughs> insane glide and, you know, covered a bunch of ground nice. and, and almost caught up with you guys in terms of the distance kind of thing. Uh, Lori was right there. And, you know, so we'd had a pretty good day, even though a lot of it was, was on the ground. And the next day, it, it put us into this Worth Pass zone, and I had no idea that's where Firebird used to be, and Robbie Whittle, you know, cut his teeth there, and he used to say that that was the most complicated, most dangerous place to fly in the Alps, and because it, it's just a super convoluted, it's almost like the Furka Grimsel 
type of th- scenario where you've got a lot of different passes and a lot of different stuff coming in. That's right before the big jump over to Santis. And, um, I and I, it, it was just fascinating to be up in there and, you know, I had studied it and studied and studied it on Google earth. And I got in there and literally just couldn't get my head around it. It was, it was just, well, where are we? Which way are we going? And, uh, you know, it was, but beautiful, stunning and, you know, chairlifts all over the place. And, uh, you know, it, it was definitely one of those kind of days where it wasn't very flyable that day. It was pretty nasty, but it was one of those days where you had to just stop every once in a while and go, this is really neat. This is a really <laughs> cool zone. I don't know if I'll ever be back here. Uh, I, exactly. It's, it's just mind-numbingly beautiful, stunning. And by the way, I also got lost. I didn't know exactly where to go. When I got to Albert Pass, there were so many little like uh, canyons or valleys that I could go through. It's like, okay, wait a second. I studied this. Why can't I figure it out? So you said it's a labyrinth. <laughs> that was the, the perfect description because it was like that. But now I have to say that us not being from the Alps, obviously are a little more foreign to all those nuances. But how we try to get through that is not only Google Earth or just checking maps, but we also tried more on a simulation-based so with a VR mm. headset and flying a glider in a simulation. Wow. We actually How do you do that? traverse the route. I think I did that route two or three times. How do you how do you do that? In Google Earth but with VR or how do you, you can how do, do you do it? You can do it in Google Earth. However, the app just gets you dizzy. So there is this uh, piece of software. It's it's a, it's a simulator really. It's a, it's called a Condor simulator. They uh, they use it a lot for for sailplanes. So you're really flying a sailplane. So you cannot really learn how to fly an area because also the weather yeah. models you can see it. But you can see it exactly. So the topography wow. and the textures used are actually ultra realistic. So you can really learn all the the nuances, the little spots, the little hills in front that might be triggers or you fly on the high side and how that connects to the next valley and mm. everything. You can do it on a, on a 2D screen, obviously, but if you really want the immersive experience, you can get like an Oculus 2 headset and just fly fly with that. And you're, you're sitting in a cabin, right? You're sitting in your glider and you're just flying around doing circles. You know, you still have the thermal, even though the weather model is, is very simplistic doesn't have valley winds and you know you see a cloud sure. and you're going up kind of thing so it's not it's not uh, that uh, that difficult let's say it's a really good tool uh, to learn the topography and and at least in my case you know we we explore the fact that we don't have a lot of big mountains here and for me the the psychology aspect of being immersed in only you know probably a, our highest mountain that we fly here is thousand meters, you know, and mm-hmm. 1500 meters is um, the highest that uh, we have in the area uh, that we fly kind of regularly. So you being in front of walls that are thousand meters high, and then the peaks are another thousand meters and you are already thousand meters mm-hmm. high. So that psychology uh, it's it's uh, it can be really intimidating for for someone who's not not in that world. So if you use 
virtual reality, you can get past that threshold where now you feel confident about flying among such a scenery and such a, you know, big mountains. When you when you came into this one, you you talked a little bit about you know increasing the volume on your training to the extent that you could because you were working. But did you come in? I I remember in my first you know my going in twenty fifteen, I was terrified initially before the race because I hadn't done you know you had done the XPR twice or once before twice, twice. before the mm-hmm. before the x alps so you had some some serious hike and fly experience i had none i was just going in kind of cold so i had done all the physical training but i was just terrified in terms of you know am i just going to be totally left in the dust am i going to get eliminated it you know mm-hmm. I, I had i really had no idea what to expect so i'm assuming you came in with a little more confidence than i did because you'd had those x peer experiences but what was the frame of mind difference between the first one and the second one? You know, cause your, your first one, I can't remember exactly where you, you placed 16th. 16th. Uh, I think yes. First uh, one. Behind Nick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, you know, you had a really good race and lots of fun. You know, unfortunately you were with me, we were in that gaggle that didn't make it to Monaco, mm-hmm. but you know, it was, it was a very, by, you know, comparison standards, insanely tame compared to 2021, um, you know, we had, you know, you had that gust front experience, but we had hardly any wind. We didn't have any fern. We didn't have much weather other than, you know, in the middle of the race, we had a lot of that rain and, you know, it wasn't very thermic, but I wouldn't say it was scary, you know, or this one was really scary, but how did the, how did going into the two races, you know, did you feel a lot more confident? Did you feel different? Did you feel, uh, what, what were your goals going into this one? I definitely changed the goals in this one. 2019, I was more worried about, well, how am I going to be competing against this crowd? And I was a lot, I would call it more uptight or more anxious about how that would play out. 2021, I knew I was going to be able to keep up and I knew the pace that everyone had. I So that was, I think, one of the big shocks in 2019. I was just surprised about the the insane fast pace that everyone had there was no weak team everyone was pulling at the same speed uh so 2021 i was i was prepared for that and i knew that i was going to be able to keep up so what i tried to do is remove the anxiety and say you know what guys let's have fun let's try to have fun and and do the best we can that's all we can because obviously we had a lot more challenges with COVID and everyone was kind of an edge and will this happen or not? So I said, you know what, let's take it easy. Let's try to have fun. And that was our our approach, obviously. (laughs) You know, some days were not as fun with all the weather that we actually had. And, you know, the the scary situations that we were immersed in. Uh, But that was was a different approach for sure. What was the scariest situation you had? Was there a standout or or maybe scariest or worst? I don't know. You know, that uh, situation around IMS, that was pretty, that was, that was up there, but that was that was only a part of the flight. After that, it was fine. Before that, it was fine. And it was not a, a long flight. I think it was only 50K. Where I had a lot more opportunity to get scared was 
on the flight from Berbia to Belizon. <laughs> mm. So we started the day, uh, we knew that the North Fund was going to be around seven to eight or even higher at the Pascos. Yeah, so scary. I, we knew that it was a risky decision to actually go north, but I felt a lot more confident of taking the north route because I know the Sion Valley and I know that the mountains are high. So as long as we stay high, it shouldn't be much of a problem. What I didn't take into account was that we were going to have 50 kilometer per hour winds from the northwest. And the mountains on the other side of the Rhone Valley, let's say the uh, Mong, Jungfrau, Eiger, uh, Massif on the other side, was, in my opinion, going to block a lot of that air. Well, that definitely didn't happen. Mm. So I tried to stay high. We did a few hops in the morning. We, we started early. It was classic flag, hike and fly. It was beautiful. Just just practicing that in Switzerland is just gorgeous because you launch and now you land on the next uh, ridge. You hike up again another 300 meters. You do that again and keep doing it until conditions get good. And now that you have some altitude, now you can actually go to the south faces on the north side of the valley. But at this point, I was I was feeling really tired and it was shaded on the south side. So once the sun started hitting me, once I started transitioning to the north side of the Rhone Valley, with this warmth, I just I just went to bed. I just fell asleep. And and I'm not talking about <laughs> closing your eyes for five seconds and then, you know, startled, just uh, regain control again. No, I'm talking about deep sleep. You know, I was dreaming, actually. Whoa. I was probably out wow. for one minute or a minute and a half. I was dreaming oh, that I was back in Mexico <laughs> and my mother was actually cooking food for me. All of a sudden, I I start feeling that something is hitting me and I, I wake up and now I'm close to the to the actual faces, huge faces. And and by this by this point I'm in Loic, Loikerbad in that valley. Yeah. And it's hail, big hail coming down. So I cover my instruments because I think that they are going to get broken. But the hail doesn't let up and it just starts getting getting louder and louder. So now I, I look up to my wing and I just hope that this hail is not going to puncture the wing, you know, and I'm going to be falling from the sky. So Jeez, I just want to get out of there quickly. And by the way, I'm, I'm trembling at this point because it's just so cold uh, because now I'm under the cloud. So I press bar get out of there as soon as I can. So after two minutes, hail just subsides and now everything's fine. But now I'm heading to these big faces and uh, we have the North Fund really acting on at this point, as well as the Northwest wind. So I am heading into, into a, a big nasty trap and I don't know about it, but I do see an eagle that is, probably 100 meters in front or 200 meters in front, 50 feet below me. And then I see this eagle in seconds, 200 feet above me. I'm like, okay, hang on. <laughs> the rodeo is coming, it's right? It's going to come. And the eagle it's was coming. all out of shape, right? So it was like, if, if that eagle is not really maintaining the wings open, I, I hope I'm, I have good luck on this one. So... 
I hit the thermal and, and whack, it's just the wing disappears, totally disappears. After seconds, it just comes forward, but it has a huge cravat. At this point, I don't think we can call it a cravat. It was like completely in on the right side. So as you can imagine, it just starts winding and winding and winding quick. And I, I don't have much control at this point. So I'm thinking about trying the reserve, but I'm not going to do it with that rotation. So I need to stop the rotation first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bury the left brake. I stall the wing. So now I'm falling and I look down. I still have some altitude uh, to, to play around and try to save it. Uh, so I release hands up, wing comes up, and now it's only 30% in. So like, okay, this is more manageable. Weight shift, brake on the, on the open side, pump the, the outer, and it releases, and now I'm flying again. So I start thermaling after that. And now I start feeling the effects of the Northwest wind. It was, there was not a second that I could actually stay in the thermal without feeling the texture in the air, huge textures mm. between two meters per second to four meters per second. And then I'm sinking on the, on the next half of the circle at three meters per second. So every single meter was, was gained uh, with huge lift and then huge sink. So it was a combination mm. of fun. And the northwest wind, and and actually it was a very good lapsery because I mean, if you see hail, there's a lot of energy in the air, but that energy is yeah. being revolted down down in the on the ground, and that nastiness is just coming up and it's hitting you. So I get in contact with my team because now I'm at FISP, and I have to make a decision whether I can stay on the northern route towards Andermatt. Or I should cross Simplon Pass towards Domodossola. So mm -hmm. they get back to me and say, weather for tomorrow is definitely better on the south. So now you can cross. And by the way, this is the reason why I decided on the northern route. Uh, I was definitely more confident on the Sion Valley because I knew it. But also, I could actually divert at this point without being less efficient take that southern route or keep on the northern route. If you take the southern route, mm. there's no way you can go to the northern route. So if you get stuck down yeah. there, you pretty much have to traverse all those boonies that uh, that are are uh, south of the Matterhorn, Dufferspitze, etc. Yeah. So now I'm heading towards Simplon Pass, well, a little bit to the east of Simplon Pass, but I look at my speed and it's 90 kilometers an hour <laughs> without bar. Mm. So I know that big bounces are coming. And you're going to take a spanking. Yes. So I see this, this huge wall. I don't remember the name of the mountain, but I was probably 3,200 meters and I'm just cruising. I'm just forcing by. I get to the peak a little bit after and the sink starts. It was not rowdy, but I was going down at eight meters per second, four, six, oh. eight, all the way, almost to the ground. So you're you're on the south side now. You've you've cleared you've cleared the Simplon or wherever you went across. Correct. You're on. Okay. So I'm yeah. on the south side. I'm a little bit north of Domodossola, and okay. pretty much I'm looking at crossing that last ridge. Uh, you know that the Domodossola Valley takes you to Locarno, and uh, where yep. Lago Maggiore is. So yep. the the problem with that uh, that route is the airspace. Exactly the airspace, and normally how you fly it is on the north side. 
But with this yeah. northwest wind, there was no chance that I can take the north side without bumping into the airspace. So sure. I have to take the southern route, but not after saucering and flying backwards for at least, I would say, 10 kilometers, just trying to gain altitude again after the, the huge sink. So I was almost almost at the ground, but I'm saucering. When I point into the wind, I'm going backwards 10 kilometers an hour, but it lifts still. And then I go down, saucer, 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 all the way to the last ridge, where now I'm put in this little canyon with only a river. There were absolutely no landing zones out there. Uh, for sure, uh, but somehow I, wa- I was clear in my mind. You know, I, I was I was not uh, worried. I just wanted to figure out the situation because now I didn't feel any northwest because I was low enough. But now I was feeling the wind coming down from from the high mountains on the east. So once I figured that out, I soared the western face and then got out of there and kept on going. You know, it was. Uh, it was one of those situations in the exiles where where your brain is so used to flying in these conditions that you know you're you're it's rising all working, above it. It's all making sense. Exactly, yeah, you start making yeah, sense yeah. out of this. Your body's like, yeah, yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> we'll just keep on going. So now my team tells me uh, that I need to get to a certain height to cross Lago Maggiore without a problem. Uh, I get to that altitude, we cross it, and now it's almost the end of the day. And I'm heading to Bellinzona on the south side. And as you know, the airspace, and this is the reason why people fly the north side, because the airspace on yeah. the south side, south side is impossible. encroaches yeah. you to the mountain. Right. But hey, yeah, I've really. never flown there. I, I have no clue. So I just keep on going until I notice that it's a little too late to find a landing zone because the west wind is pushing me. And I'm not penetrating west again. So I'm heading towards this trap, this literal trap, no landing zones against the mountains. So it's I have two options, airspace or tree. So I just keep on going. I say, you know what? I'll find something. I'll figure something out. So my brain is still trying to figure out. That's a very treed area. I know I know this part of the world really well. That was Bellinzona is a place I've flown a ton. And uh, yeah, the south side is all trees, thick trees. Big trees, exactly. So there was big no trees, clearing. Big, thick trees. There's no clearings. There's no openings. There's no, no wow, what you do? But I didn't know that. So I just kept going Shit. to see if the trees were actually blocking a small landing zone that I was not seeing from from afar. <laughs> so I just keep on going. I'm getting I'm getting lower on top of the trees. Like okay, well, uh, <laughs> I, I guess I guess I'll have to figure it out once I get to the end. So the airspace I was literally five meters from the airspace. Okay. And I Whoa, finally see the CTR, the the bad one, the one that goes all the way to the ground there. Right? It was the, past the CTR. There's the wings on. It was past, oh, wow, past the okay. CTR, so there is there is yeah, a hole. So you're in one of the wings because the steps actually are a little bit yeah, higher every single. Uh, I think it's two kilometers, three kilometers. So the step yep. that I got to now that opened up a small gap between the airspace and the treetops, but the landing zone <laughs> that I found was a tiny thing that was below airspace. So I didn't really know if I was gonna be able to. Just go to the treetops and then scoot under the airspace and then land. So I was like, you know what? This is my only option. So let me try it. And so I park it into the wind. So I'm facing west. My wingtip is five meters from the airspace, literally, because I was I zoomed in in my instruments all I could, and I could see that any small movement changed the line. 
you know, it's like, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm four meters, no, three meters, okay, no, no, the other way. So now I'm sinking on top of the trees. Ah. I'm going down to the trees. I just see the trees coming up, and I don't see the airspace in my instrument letting up. It's like, you know what, might be a tree line. So I just keep going down, and at the last second, literally, I probably had 20 meters that I can scoot under the airspace and then oh my god five seconds later land yeah. no <laughs> way that's awesome no way you did i had that exact flight i started in bellinzona in 2015 and ended in orsiers which is right across yeah. the the pass from from verbier so you did the reverse so i i know exactly what you're talking about and i didn't take the simplon i was a little bit north of that kind of between the simplon and the uh, newfoundland mm. um but going the other way and i was battling a hell of a headwind in, yeah. in 2015 but that was i watched you on live tracking a lot that day you just had one when you decided to go north i thought you made the biggest mistake <laughs> i just thought man i don't know that's you know kriegel did it and he really made it work but i saw with that north fern coming i thought you were just uh, you know, usually North Fern, it's it's not very flyable on the north side when it's a strong North Fern because it's low cloud base and rainy and and nasty, and that's what got all those. That's what got Maxime and all those guys, you know, being on the south uh, in that in the South Fern day. The Kriegel later said he didn't think it was very strong South Fern, but you know, I can tell you when I I was you know in the op, I was in the same place as he was, but further north that day when he was having his breakout day, I was trying to get to fish uh, mm-hmm. on the you know basically backdooring into titless kind of what we did the year before in 2019 because and you know i could see the south fern just dumping in over the andromot and that area i mean it sure it certainly looked like south fern to me it was a nasty day it was you know 50k plus at the peak tops and really ugly but uh you know and those guys were on the south side whereas you know usually when it's south fern it's not very flyable on the south side because it's just you don't have the sun it's rainy and so i thought you were putting yourself in a terrible position and you really made it work that was that was genius that was great and i mean that's a hundred and you did about 180k on course line that day i think right yeah something like that something like that that. it's a big day yes i was i was just uh drained uh physically and mentally because you know mountains in switzerland are not exactly small so we did a lot of little hops and the little hops means like you know you do 800 vert every single time uh and then just just a mental drain of okay i i need to figure out what to do right so i think that was a all in all it was a good day although it could have turned bad really easy very easy Mm. What a breakout day. That must have been so exciting and so fantastic. And I would imagine too, you know, that route doesn't lend itself very easy to the chase. Were you way out ahead of your team? Were they able to stay up with you? Because that's it's a very roundabout. Uh, it's, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, you certainly know what you're talking about because my next comment was going to be, well, my team was three hours behind. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Crushing my team, they can't even keep up. <laughs> yeah, normally when, when your team cannot keep up with you, it was a good day, for sure. That's a good day, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's a good day. Yeah. That's a good day. Eduardo, you mentioned, um, you know, the kind of this is what really it didn't hit me so much in the first couple of races, but it really hit me in 2019 was the lack of, you know, I think compared to the Europeans, you and I have have or sorry 
compared to North American pilots, you and I have quite a bit of experience in the Alps, but compared to the Europeans, it's just a joke. Mm -hmm. And in, in 2019, it really, it was actually really discouraging. I came out of that race because I really felt like that in a lot of ways was my best race in mm -hmm. terms of the decision-making and, and the ground game and, and the fitness and, and, uh, and still, you know, it was, we had one bad day and it just wrecked us, uh, in terms of getting to Monaco and stuff. And, and the bad day was, was up here. It had nothing to do with the terrain, but it did, you know, there were a number of days before that, that really just, it just really came down to local knowledge. Often it was just, I just consistently found myself in places where I really didn't know what to do. And, you know, there's an argument that that's just piloting skills and, you know, you get better as, as you fly more and, you know, you can figure it out on the fly like Kriegel does, but it was also just, it really struck me that year that, man, we are really at a disadvantage, um, you know, just not having the races there and the time and the, the just knowing the lay of the land. Cause it is a labyrinth. It is a very complicated place. You know, we, you know, flying here in the Rockies, you get up and you go East, you know, and, and mm -hmm. there's not, you're not dealing with a lot of fern. You're not dealing a lot with, you know, the valley winds are very predictable. They're not complicated. And uh, anyway, my, it's a very long way to ask a simple question. You know, do we have a chance, you know, do the, do the, do the people that are, you know, hopefully going to follow in our footsteps and, uh, you know, join up for races like the X pier and the X Alps, uh, from over here in this side of the pond. Cause I, you know, I think you were the first non-European this year. I've had a couple of those. Nick Manans is always a hard one to battle. But, you know, for the most part, it's a Europeans race and certainly at the top 10, you know, is that discouraging to you? Is it encouraging? Does it bother you? You know, it can, it can sound discouraging. Uh, we still have our experience and we uh, establish our goals based on that perspective that, you know, we mm -hmm. don't know the area and, you know, be, being happy with your performance means uh, how close you are to your expectations, right? So you have to tame your expectations, but uh, having always expectation that you're going to be outside the top 10 or it's going to be tough to finish can can really sound discouraging. Mm. Now, if you go back, and, and I've heard uh, in your podcast, XOPS athletes talking about, well, I don't like to scout. I, I don't, I don't want to scout because I want to fly the day. I want to get to that point and figure it out. Uh, and I think that's really valid for people who fly in the Alps, because in my opinion, they already have the database in their subconscious. You know, they've, they've flown around the Alps a lot, so they can extrapolate the situations that they have already been in and apply it to, you know, the particular challenge that they have in, in the route. But we don't have that. You know, I don't fly with a valley system. So I have to figure it out and and potentially bomb out at a higher probability than, than them. So I like the scouting. I feel a lot more encouraged with the scouting. So answer your question, I think it's going to be very tough for a non-Alpine team to actually place top five. And I'm not saying it's never going to be done, but uh, it's going to take definitely more effort than teams that are already in the Alps training there and knowing where to fly and where to go 
etc. Yeah, and I I think another um another aspect of it is just flat out hours in that kind of endeavor, you know, until we have, you know, when you look at Kriegel, he went from the X Alps to the Eiger to the Verco to the, I mean, he's done over a half a dozen since the end of the race. I haven't done anything, you know? Um, and it's, it's, uh, I think there's also that aspect of it that, you know, the other side of it is, you know, the young guns that are coming up into this, you know, we didn't have to worry about them too much in 2015. Mm. Uh, You know, it, it was an experience thing. And now, you know, these young guys are really good pilots and they really know, and this was a uniquely hard year on the rookies. It, that was interesting. I, I thought was really interesting, but, um, but typically, you know, the rookies historically have been able to do pretty well. And uh, anyway, that I, I think it's the other, the other thing that's hard for me emotionally or that it, because it only happens every two years, you know, I come out of this with a ton of takeaways mm. and a ton of things that, okay, I would do this differently and I'll ch- change that. And, you know, this year I went in with a ton of mental coaching from Tom, Thomas, uh, you know, Kriegel's coach. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I really tried to rejigger my head around, like you said, expectations and goals and all that kind of things. And then you get to try this and you don't get to try it again for two years. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It's a, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a limited time that you can really, uh, anyway, what I'm trying to say is it's hard to improve enough because you've got 30 other people who are improving really well too. Exactly. And, you know, and they're doing it there and they've got, you know, they've got the Dolomiti and the Borns and the, and just so many events that can help sharpen those skills that, you know, we can just do it visually. We can't, we, we can train, but we can't train like that. And I, I think that that was the other thing I did write this in an article. That was the other thing that I'm just finding, you know, it's tough. I, I was, I was given a little piece of the goods in 2015 and I came <laughs> away from that thinking, gosh, you know, with more, you know, if I really put a lot of effort into this, I can hang with these guys, but that hasn't proven correct. Cause it's just, it's, they're getting a lot better too. Yes. And I, and I don't know uh, if, if it also happens to you, Gavin, but uh, the more races you do, your body gets more resilient, right? So people yeah, who sure. race constantly, and I'm not talking only the Alps, but just racing constantly, they are really, really beasts on the ground. Because I felt it, you know, my first spear, for example, I walked probably one fourth of what I walked during this race. And I was completely destroyed. Mm. After this race, I mean, I saw you at the, at the award ceremony. I was feeling fine, actually. I was I was perfectly fine. Feet totally. didn't hurt. I was a little bit tired, obviously, but other than that, yeah. I was I was feeling really good. Uh, yeah, and, and that does no. I mean, I was the same. It was exactly. I didn't have any blisters. I had five hundred ninety k on the ground. I just wanted to keep going. No, it's yeah. You you do get more resilient. You get a lot more durable. You get a lot more resilient. So that's yeah. that's on the body yeah. side and on the on the flying side, absolutely. I mean, in order to compete against that, you have to be living there. You know, um, yeah. There's I I don't think there's uh, there's any other way to do it. If you had a different scenario with work and life, would this be something? You know, if you lived in the Alps, say, for example, could you see yourself doing all those and keep doing the X Alps? Is this something you'd love to, you know, in, in an alternate reality, is this something you'd love <laughs> to pursue as a, as a profession? Because a lot of these guys do, 
you know, a lot, like I said, the top 10, you know, most of them are test pilots. Most of them work in the industry. This is what they do. This is their life. I can definitely see it just because, again, I, I love the mountains and I, I love the sport. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really a passion. Uh, you really have to love it in order to keep putting yourself in these situations. So, yes, I think that uh, if I lived there and I had, you know, the, uh, the resources to, to just do it as a, as a living, uh, I think it's a high quality of life. Last question, bud. For those who are listening who have the X-Alps as a, you know, a maybe aspiration, something that they'd like to try to tackle someday, what advice would you have for them? And let, let me add to that. It, and I'm, I'm trying to ask shorter questions. I'm doing a very terrible job with you. I'm asking very long ones because I'm so passionate about this <laughs> subject. But I was, I'm always a little, not I'm surprised. I don't even know what the word would be, but you know, live tracking is phenomenal. I don't get to f- watch it that much, but that's what everybody tells me that, you know, you can get in the cockpit and the whole thing. Obviously there isn't the weather aspect. People don't see the weather, but uh, you know, I'm a little nervous just to think what people actually think about the X-Alps because when you're not in it and not experiencing it, I think, I think people have pretty radically wrong views about what it is and what it isn't. Do you, do you feel that way? I, 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 I run into a lot of people that say, yeah, you know, I just learned how to fly and I'm thinking about doing the X-Alps in a couple of years, you know, or four years. And you just think, yeah, you're batshit. You're I think we're on the same page there. Uh, my recommendation, my advice would be know really well what you're getting into. It's mm. not, uh, you know, there's no glamour. It's not only the media. You know, there's a lot behind the scenes that uh, needs to happen to prepare for this race. You know, not only from a a physical aspect, uh, but, you know, flying skills, uh, route, uh, sponsors, transportation. If you're not from the Alps, you know, you you have that that burden on top of everything. Uh, So there is a lot that goes into this. And the problem is that if you go, let's say, half, half-assed in this case, uh, once you're really prepared, once you know what you're doing fully, you might not get selected because you already burned your ticket. So mm. uh, just be really, really conscientious about uh, getting all the information you can, you know, through podcasts. And I don't want to scare anyone, uh, by the way. I'm just... Uh, detailing my experience. I love the experience. And this is something that I'm taking as, as one of the best moments, let's say, in my life because of the adventure, the challenge, the scenery, the camaraderie, the people that you meet. So it's, it's an awesome adventure. Okay. But really know what you're getting into. How are you going to fill the hole? <laughs> what, 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 what do you, uh, I haven't figured that out. You know, I, I think about it a lot and, and I think about it a lot before the race, knowing that I'm going to be in this, you know, in this place after, you know, I think some of the athletes Kriegel and, you know, they, they have filled it by just constantly training and looking forward to the next one. You know, he talked about, I've talked about this quite a bit on the show, but you know, he talked about going to a pretty dark place after his first two in 2009 and 2011, 
Cause you're at this, you're pinned. I mean, you are maxed out. You're just, you're having one, whether you're having a bad race, like I did for the first few days in this one or a good race, like I did at the end or whatever. We all have these amazing experiences, uh, but you're pegged and you're, like you said, you're chick sent me high. You're, you're in, you're in flow for sure, whether it's good or bad um, for 12 days. And, and then it ends and, and then, you know, you, you go back to the East coast and go back to your work and your job and nine to five. And now you guys are trying to find a house. I mean, it all seems I'm just, just finished building a place. It all seems a little less exciting than, you know, than being in that race. How do you, how, how, how do you think about the future and what's next? You know, what I thought about doing is definitely more of all the, after seeing all this mm. beautiful scenery that I had not uh, known until this race, I want to visit those places again and, and probably in a kind of a non-hardcore mode, you know, taking trains here and there, buses, et cetera, but, but really going where I want to and exploring the area. It's, it's just, uh, just huge, you know, and there's many, many places that uh, I have not visited. So I'm, I'm going to take a step back from hiking flight competitions just to be able to explore more you know, be more on my own, you know, uh, camping high and then launching from there and going from, I don't know, Chamonix to Tolmin again, mm. Uh, mm. Do, doing that kind of trip. Um, yes, absolutely. But definitely there's some flying involved. You know, it's uh, just as you, it's, it's our passion. We really love it. We love the scenery. We love the flying. So uh, that gap is going to be filled with a lot more flying just a little bit, you know, toned down. <laughs> mm, mm. Any, any World Cup aspirations and competition type stuff? Because I know you're quite keen on, on racing as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, mm. I just came back from uh, pre-PWC, actually, uh, where Maxime was there. Uh, we had a, had a nice chat. Uh, so, yes, definitely competi- competing uh, race to goal. Uh, heading down to Monarca, which hopefully I'll mm. see you there, buddy. Um, oh, of course. I never miss Monarca. Yeah, that's an awesome place. So uh, we haven't really defined the schedule. You know, I'm, I'm normally traveling with Bianca, and she's she's a lot more into uh, race to world competitions than I am. Uh, but it's really fun to actually fly together, you know, experience uh, these competitions together. So definitely uh, you know, PwC and, and other race to goal competitions are, are in our future as well. Yeah. I got to get her on the show one of these days as well. It's, it's cool. You're one of the few couples who are really making it work. That's, that's very exciting. And she's an awesome pilot. So, Hey, Eduardo, before we wrap things up completely here, um, I'm sure you've got some people you want to thank. This race is not just about us, is it? It's our teams and, uh, they're so critical and, but who, who do you want to put a shout out to? Absolutely, Gavin. Uh, this is not uh, Eduardo Garza going through the Alps. This is Team Mexico. And I know that, you know, websites, etc., focus on the name of the person, right? The name of the athlete. But this is a team effort, as you well know. So I would mm. like to thank my whole team. So we have uh, Jason Wallace, uh, a.k.a. The Mule, <laughs> who hiked with me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't know how he did it, but uh, but he was hiking with me all the time. Anton 
always with a smile oh, knowing oh, Jason absolutely. too. Absolutely. You know yeah. him from the Red Frogs. He's an awesome guy. Um, awesome. Driving the van, you know, driving a van, any van in the Alps is, is quite a hassle. And that was Anton and also cooking. Anton Salutsky. So uh, complete appreciation to him as well. Uh, now we also had in the team Peter Grice, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Magic Hands. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go into details. It's fine. <laughs> hey, hey, it's on PG-13 here. <laughs> he was a, a, a massage therapist, and he did a really, really amazing job. He actually works in Switzerland in clusters, so I mm-hmm. really envy that uh, that part. Uh, but he was instrumental in, in getting us as far as possible down the course line. Uh, on the other hand, Remotely, we actually had uh, Paul Van Liu in Hamburg. So he was in our mm. time zone and he was feeding us information so readily, timely, and accurate that I was really, really impressed with his work. So, was that weather? You were getting weather stuff from him? Weather, what other people were doing, uh, hiking oh, routes. Okay. So he would send those GPX files for us to. Um, you know, traverse efficiently because sometimes you don't have any wow, signal cool. or you just don't have time to look for it. So, mm-hmm. so he was, he was doing that. And well, of course, Bianca who has, you know, always supported me. And um, in this time, in, in this race, uh, she was not there with us because uh, I don't know if you know this, but in 2019, up to that point, she had been four times uh, national, U.S. national women's champion, right? So mm-hmm. she forfeited that during the 2019 race just to support me because she, she missed a couple of, uh, well, one competition that, you know, was a nationals. So mm-hmm. I didn't want that to happen again. So I, I was actually pushing for her to come back to the U.S. Just help me on the... Uh, let's say prologue and that week prior and then Mm -hmm. she actually had to go back to the u.s so i i i definitely owe owe her a lot of you know this uh you can call it success that we've had she's been a huge part of the team and she was also helping uh with weather and you know it was it was a lot of moral support you know sometimes you just need someone to talk to when you're walking endlessly Mm. so Mm. So yes. yes, so I'm very grateful to the whole team. I appreciate everything everything they did. Oh, and I really want to thank my supporter from such a long time, Skywalk, uh, because since I started hike and fly competitions, they have always been uh, very supportive of me and my team. So uh, thank you to Arnie Berlin, who again has always been supporting me and. We'll see what happens in the future. Well, Eduardo, what a treat, man. That was fantastic. It was great to catch up with you and see you. And uh, can't wait to see you in Dubai. We didn't talk about Dubai. We've got this <laughs> crazy race coming up over in uh, United Arab Emirates that looks pretty exciting. I just started training two days ago. I think you got a little jump on me there. But yeah, I'm, uh, yeah geez, uh, I'm going to get myself in shape in, what, three weeks of counting here. So, um, But we'll see you there, and then we'll see you at Menarca. That'll be great. Absolutely. Well, Gavin, it's been a real pleasure seeing you, talking to you. Uh, And I guess I'll see you soon. See you soon, bud. All right, take care. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. 
You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.